Hey, everybody. Welcome into Eminem and M Across the Board. Eric McDowell, Sean Martin, Ashley Miller with you once again. And we are a few days removed now, guys, from Super Bowl 56. We will talk a little bit about that. We will also have a special guest that has to do with Eric's hat. And I assume shirt. Do you have a shirt on, too? I got the color going. All right. Perfect. Matching colors. San Jose Sharks. We're going to be all about the Sharks and the NHL. And we're also going to do a little bit of Olympics. But, boys, let's start with the big game. We don't want to get too far removed from that. Thoughts on the game? It's probably the least I've ever watched a Super Bowl, not because I wasn't interested, but because I was at a party and there are, you know, there are things you're mingling, you're talking, you're, you can't really hear what's happening, so you're kind of watching. Um, how did you guys enjoy it? I enjoyed it. I, I said all week I didn't have a big-time rooting interest. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a nice – break from the Mahomes Brady Patriots era. Yep. Um, And I said all week, all I wanted to see was a close game where somebody has to step up and make a big play at the end to become legendary. And could one of the quarterbacks pull off a rally who could do it? It turned out the Rams three headed monster of Stafford cup and and Aaron Donald for me, that was the best performance ever by a defensive player in a Super Bowl better, better than Reggie white in Super Bowl 31 against the Pats and good for Aaron Donald because he Mm -hmm. was just a a beast. So I enjoyed it because you get to see some drama and legends were made that day. And that's all you can ask for as a football fan. Well, hats off to the Rams because I picked them, which meant I thought they'd lose. But, (laughs) and you know, first of all, none of the three of us, it doesn't matter who we picked at the beginning of the season because the Rams added so many stars during the season, but Big players make big plays, Sean. I'm fully in agreement about Donald. I hope he comes back. He's only 30. He basically ended the game with a phenomenal sack. He dominated in the fourth quarter. I love how he pointed to his finger. (laughs) I thought that was awesome. He stops mixing in the third and one, then gets the sack. He's a big player, made the big game, you know, big plays in the big game. And I would put him right up there, as you said, Reggie White and Lawrence Taylor. There's so much more that he can bring to the table, and I hope he sticks around. And frankly, I think you could have made a case for him to be the Super Bowl MVP. Uh, He will be in the Hall of Fame, but we don't want to see that in a few years. So, Aaron Donald, we know you're watching. Please keep playing. Thank you. I hope he's watching. That would be awesome. (laughs) Uh, What's that? Yes, he would. It would be good if he was. Uh, Yeah, I I agree. I think, listen, I had also said I don't really have a rooting interest one way or the other because I like both teams. I enjoy the players from both teams. So, yes, I am glad Matthew Stafford won a Super Bowl in his very first season with the Rams, which there was all that talk about, is it going to be as simple as just trading quarterbacks? And at the end of the day, it was not. That's not – it wouldn't have happened, I don't think had they not made the, the moves that they made, had they not added a guy like Von Miller, had they not added OBJ. The, all of those pieces were pivotal to what this Rams team was able to do. Yes, a lot of us were hot on the Rams from the beginning, but I'm convinced that this Super Bowl doesn't happen without them going all in. And I mean, they went all in. They traded away picks and everything and maybe sacrificed, you know, five years down the road to win now. Yeah, the other fan base that really, I think, enjoyed the game. You saw reports leading up to the game that there were T-shirts in Detroit saying Detroit Rams because they were so <laughs> Stafford and all he did there. And I, I, I draw the comparison when Raymond Bork won the Stanley Cup for the Avalanche as a longtime Bruins fan, how happy I was that night for 77. That's, I think, what the Lions fans are feeling for Stafford. He'll always be a Detroit Lion, at least for them and to me. 
Um, but it was great to see that. And the other thing I really liked about it, you go back to the Buffalo Kansas City playoff game, which was fantastic mm-hmm. theater. I'd rather watch a twenty-three to twenty game where defensive make the big plays mm-hmm. rather than just yeah. pin ball. And and watching that Ram defense, they were great all year. They added some pieces. They they went all in. Jim Fossil said and putting all the chips in the middle of the table, and it paid off for them. But seeing a team coming up with a stop for me is just as thrilling as, as yeah. a guy driving his team seventy yards for a score. Sean, maybe uh, the Rams will let him bring the Super Bowl trophy to Detroit in a city park like Bork did in Boston. Why not? That's the closest thing that fan base has been to a Super Bowl. Look, look at the first half, too. I mean, totally different situation. OBJ goes down. I thought he was going to be MVP at that point. He had two ints by Stafford. You know, he hobbles off the field a little bit. The running game that we talked about last week, zero, non-existent. Uh, and then this game could have come down to the index finger of Hecker because that happens. But you'd rather have that happen in the preseason in August than now because he could have had, you know, a Buckner moment. So fortunately, it was not the most famous finger since Amet gave it to the crowd. But since he had no pass rush going in the second half either, uh, it was basically a game of catch for Stafford and Cup to for that drive. 16 plays, 79 yards, about five minutes. And Cuphead four for forty-three. Uh, everybody knew what, what was going to happen, and yet they, the two of them, still got it done. It's a remarkable drive, and it's going to go down in history as one of the most remarkable game-winning drives, I would think. Yeah, I thought I thought they played great. And listen, you feel for a guy like Odell Beckham Jr. Um, I know it's kind of out there that he tore his ACL again. I don't know if it's been confirmed by an MRI or not. Either way, that's what it looked like. Um, you feel for a guy who's going to have to undergo ACL rehab for the second time in what is basically two years, but also doesn't it say something about the situation in Cleveland? Like from all they're pointing at Odell as the problem. He's the problem. He's the problem. He's the problem. He, they didn't utilize him at all. And, and listen, the, his dad is a whole nother story. That's a whole different topic, but he goes to LA he just goes out there, does his job. He had two catches for like 52 yards and a touchdown pretty quickly. But even in the the time that the short time that he was with the Rams, I mean, he was a huge addition. Seven touchdowns in the regular and postseason for the Rams. That's the same number of touchdowns he had in two years with the Cleveland Browns. The, the, the problem hard- was not Odell Beckham Jr. The problem was the Cleveland Browns. Yes, but here's the thing. It, did Odell's attitude change when he went to LA sure. thinking it's yes. got it, you know, whatever you're doing in Cleveland, you, you can't do not mm-hmm. necessarily it's him. I think it's, it's probably on both sides, but this is almost a last chance for him in a way. Yeah. Um, but good for him because he yeah. smartened up and he, he blended in and mm-hmm. as luck would have it, they bring him in right after Robert Woods tears up his knee mm-hmm. uh, and he fit right in perfectly. And, you know, shame on me. I was the guy rooting for the Raiders to get to Sean Jackson instead of Odell. Um, yeah, I'm not very bright, but, uh, yeah, good for him though, because he, he got He had a chance at redemption and he got it and he played great. Yeah. Sounds like Moss in New England, Ashley, same type of thing. Last chance. I do believe that sometimes suddenly all of a sudden they turn it on. I'm not going to talk about Kyrie Irving anymore. I'm sorry. I dominate his talk, but point is, is that when they go into a situation like this, sometimes a Moss or OBJ may think this is it for me, but when they have that ring dangled in front of them, I mean, look at what Ramsey did calling up, you know, 
uh, Miller and Denver and say, hey, come on. And then they call up OBJ. Come on, we got a shot. That's what you see in the NBA where they do that, not in the NFL. Where it's like, come yeah. here and we'll get a ring. So happy for him. Unfortunately, that injury, uh, he's going to be gone another year. But yeah. we're going to see the OBJ that we saw the first few years in the Giants. Yeah, and the tough part about that is, too, is he's a, he's 29 years old, set to become a free agent this offseason. Not an ideal time to tear an ACL. Yeah. There's never an ideal time. But now you hope somebody gives him a contract and maybe they can backload it and just say, you know what, you have to hit X marks so that if you're healthy and you're pro producing, we then add money to the contract. Um, he's one of the most gifted wide receivers in the league when he's healthy. There's no doubt about it. And when he's mentally checked in, he's one of the most gifted wide receivers in the league. So, yeah, happy for him. And at the end of the day, I still think you can feel really, really good if you're Cincinnati. They just extended Zach Taylor today through the 2026 season. Well-deserved. I mean, how often do you hear this? It's so funny. In three seasons in Cincinnati, 16-32-1. And, and you think, well, that's not very good. <laughs> but the first season was so bad. Then last season was like pretty bad, but an improvement. And this season was just a marked difference. So good for Zach Taylor. Um, his, the players obviously enjoy playing for him. He has something really, really good there going there. And if they don't pick offensive linemen with the first two picks that they have in this damn draft, Someone should get fired. <laughs> yeah, they, you know, that's a fan base. They they lost Super Bowl 14, was it? It's a classic to the, to the not 14, sorry, um, 16 to the 49ers, 26-21, and a comeback fell short. They lost in 88. Uh, Joe Montana led that long drive. And then this one, I can't help but wonder, you come out third period, you're down 13-10, they hit a 75-yard mm -hmm. touchdown on a, no call on a right. face mask there <clears throat> kind of offsets some of those sketchy ticky tack calls on that last drive for the Rams to balance out. But the first play back for the Rams Stafford throws an interception and just can't help but wonder what would have happened in that game. If the Bengals could have gone down and scored again, mm -hmm. all of a sudden it's 24 to 13 before people were back in their seats, yep. um, but they didn't get it. They got a They got a field goal and that was it. And, and then the Ram defense really stepped up and whatever, whatever, defensive uh, adjustments the Rams made. They weren't getting to Burrow that much. They were right. they're getting pressure, but they weren't knocking them down. But uh, once that avalanche of pressure started, they, they just couldn't answer it, and Burrow was a sitting duck. Well, another point, too, since he has the third most cap money available, too. Mm. So they can do the draft and pick up some, go some guys. And yep. um, if you're a Cincinnati football fan, including college, you're really happy because the guy stayed. He got a five-year extension at Cincinnati. I told him to, and they listened to us sometimes. So great for the pigskin fans, pro and college in the city. But we know Burrow will be back. But look at the AFC with the minefield you have, okay? You have Mahomes. You have Allen. You have Herbert. But you also have Carr, who I think will improve. Uh, he's really got to a point, but I think he'll be even better with McDaniels. So we, it's a musical chair situation, and there's only one AFC chair to sit in in the Super Bowl. So I hope that we'll see the kid back there. I hope we see all four of them in there virtually. But Cincinnati, wonderful for the city, for the season that they've had. And sometimes, Ashley, you're right, stats like that record don't tell the whole story. Right. Well, guys, when we we talked about, you know, when we were previewing the Super Bowl, we talked about kind of what everyone was talking about, that Cincinnati O-line against the Rams D-line. And through, you know, the first half and then the first couple minutes of the third quarter, I thought, this isn't playing out. 
it is playing out the way I thought it was because the ran or the the Bengals were doing exactly what they needed to do to avoid that pressure. They were dinking, they were dunking, they were occasionally hitting the big play, but Joe Burrow wasn't hanging on to the ball for more than two and a half seconds, no. and it was out of his hand. And then all of the sudden, it was like an avalanche. And we said, listen, you can't get sacked more than five times in the Super Bowl and and still think you're probably going to win. Well, he got sacked seven times, and it just felt like it was all of a sudden he was on his butt, he was on his butt, he was on his butt, and then you thought, well, this might be it because they've figured something out in the second half. And I don't know exactly what it was, but whatever it was, they worked. It seemed like Chris Collinsworth hit the nail on the head. They had that Burrow, Donald's first official sack was when they got Burrow on the sidelines for a one-yard loss, goes down for a sack. Mm -hmm. But there was a scrum afterwards, and there was a lot of pushing and shoving, and that seemed to really light up Aaron Donald. Yeah, yeah, for for a guy that already plays very tough and very angry (laughs) at times, it escalated. Mm -hmm. And after that, he was unblockable. And I... I've always appreciated Aaron Donald, but I can't tell you I ever watched him play to that level before. Yeah. Um, he was just, he was possessed. And you know, then you see the, the after the game, Sean McVay's um, mic'd up. And before that fourth down where he said, Aaron Donald's going to make a play. And you might as well call that sack number eight for the game because Burrow had no chance uh, on that play. It was just incredible. And I just love watching a defensive effort like that. Um, and again, I, Eric, I agree. I would have voted for him for MVP. As good as Cup was, I would have put Aaron Donald. Uh, the easiest imagine- bet that I made, Ashley, and I will say this, the easiest bet was 5.5 sacks in the over. Ooh. I thought that would happen. I, I had fun with that one because that was the one I felt was the most, the easiest bet. But okay. Hats off were, to Mr. Hainsworth. Were you many, sweating it out in the first half? I thought they'd get it at the first half. It wound up with about seven, so. Yeah. Uh, hats off to a 40-year-old. He is now the oldest player in the NFL because Brady's gone. Um, you know, if if he decides to stay, we see him down there with the family. I think the guy's going to retire. But how many people can say that they played for the Rams and the Bengals? Right. <laughs> I don't know. And, you know, with all the other stories, it's great to see a guy that's 40 years old that looks 60 because he plays up front yeah. and has his family down there and to see him get his first title. So tr- that was one of the wonderful stories of, you know, we hear about Stafford, but how about him? And I would think that he'd go out and spend more time with those kids and enjoy that ring. I loved when they were showing the families, it, Whitworth's kids and his wife are sitting there and uh, his one daughter is reading. Yeah. And reading I was like, is that the Super Bowl? She's reading. reading I love book. her. There was, you know, it's fitting the game was in L.A. You had some Hollywood endings. I mean, Van Jefferson celebrating with his kids. And they come up and say, by the way, your wife left at halftime. She's in labor. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, And then I think it was Taylor Rapp was his name. He proposed to his his girlfriend on the field during the celebration, too. It was all kind of – you couldn't have scripted it better for some of those those extra moments afterwards. Absolutely. Yeah, very much. Well, Sean, you want to hit about the halftime show. Yeah, you know, the halftime show became a controversy – uh, which I kind of followed a little bit. Some people loved it. Some didn't. Here's my view. You, all five of those stars, look, you could have, that. that's just not my not my thing. I'm a classic right. rock I was going to say, yes or no, did you like it? I appreciated it. Okay. Well, there's a difference. I, yeah, for, I get it. For this reason, I couldn't tell you one song that any of them sing. Okay. I listened to okay. Pink Floyd, Bruce Springsteen, ACDC, yep. Guns N' Roses. But I did. My wife loved it. That tells me it was good. But I did take some time to appreciate. I knew all the names. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you could put uh, Dr. Dre and Kendrick Lamar in my car, and I wouldn't know who they are unless they introduced themselves. <laughs> I knew the other people. But you have to look at it and say, look, these are five iconic people for what yeah. they do with rap and hip hop. So while the music wasn't for me, I enjoyed the show. Mm -hmm. Because if, when you, you put legends on stage, I don't care if you like the music or not, you have to appreciate what they're doing and what they've meant for their industry. Mm -hmm. And so when you take it in that light, it was a heck of a heck of a performance. Eric, what'd you think? I would have preferred Barry Manilow and Barbara Streisand, <laughs> but I know that can't happen. Yeah, so sure. I accept the BGs, even if there's one left and cool in the gang. But Sean, fully agree with that. I, I enjoyed it because they were icons. And yeah. and I'm thinking of uh, you know the people that love that type of music and to see all of them come together and check their egos at the door. You know how hard that is to do because of competition. It'd be like getting Katy Perry with Taylor Swift. That probably won't happen. Correct. Okay, because of the rivalry. Mm -hmm. But I agree. I thought it, I enjoyed it because it was very well produced. The set was fabulous. Uh, even the tarp on the field, like an overhead of the city, uh, just to see all of them come together. And as for that pit with Eminem, the league stated that we knew he was going to do it. Honestly, I don't know how many kids actually packaged that together because that's been a long time ago. But I, I thought it was very well produced. And uh, just amazing to see the best in that genre all together at the same time. Yeah, guys, quickly, uh, I loved it, but it's right in my wheelhouse. I mean, it <laughs> is my junior high and high school years of like Blair and Fiddy in my car on the way to school. And it, all of it was was fantastic. But I think the thing I appreciated most is that you touched on it. Like, you're not going to get Katy Perry and Taylor Swift on the same stage. You're not going to get too many of these pop stars to come together for one show, regardless of what it's for, rap music and hip hop is so different in that I think so many of these stars appreciate one another and they can appreciate what each one did. Mary J can appreciate what Eminem has done. Eminem can appreciate what Dr. Dre has done. There is so much love in that industry and appreciation for one another. No matter if you like the person or you don't, they all kind of understand what each one has done for music and, and the steps that they've helped them take. And to get all five of those people, I said, I think I said to Chris, they were all standing up on the roof of that trailer. And I said, <laughs> do you know how much money is on the roof of that trailer right now? It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It yeah, I, yeah, it really was. I mean, my favorite all time was Bruce Springsteen, but I, I love the boss. So yeah. I think the Rolling Stones had to get one year too, but yep. you know what? It's a show and it's, it's part of the, just part of the aura and the spectacles and sit back and enjoy it. Yeah, and I think it was an all-star game, Ashley. It was an all-star game of rap, right? It That's was. what it was. It was exactly that. Um, and I think you're always gonna get the people who don't like it. And I've not liked Super Bowl shows before, but I've sat there and listened to it and just enjoyed it for what it was. It's a Super Bowl halftime show. They're not gonna get they're not gonna pick the same genre every year because then you're gonna turn people off. If you're gonna say, Hey, I'm gonna put Taylor Swift on stage every year. You're going to get people who aren't going to watch the halftime show. They're not even going to watch for the commercials, the people who don't like football. They're not going to watch. Um, so I think it, they're smart to go every which way. I love the Prince halftime show uh, back in the day, and I think a lot of people of an older generation, my parents' generation, probably appreciated Prince and The Boss and, and all of those a little bit more than I did at the time. Um, but, yeah, every once in a while you got to throw the young kids a bone. Sure. Maybe next year Eric will get his Barry Manilow, maybe air supply in there. Oh, I get up there really and nice. 
I'll do a little dance and you I know, don't think air video. supply will ever make the cut, but <laughs> oh right. by the way, did you get a little uh, hit of uh Snoop mm. with the little uh, action Snoop. going backstage there? I wonder there how was, much of that got around. You can do a, a bet on uh, whether or not he would smoke weed on television as part of the halftime show. That's like did anybody swear? Do you guys know? Did anybody swear? I don't. Uh, I listen, there's anything. cursing in some of the songs, but I don't remember hearing anything like overt out over the air. I, I kind of laughed on Twitter. They're saying, but the second quarter, they're saying that the Eminem was going to take a knee and the NFL was going to possibly remove him from the threatening to not let him. I'm like, yeah, good luck. Come Good on. luck. Eminem doesn't need the NFL. If you don't want him to take a knee, you can't let him perform at halftime. Exactly. Because you know, you tell him not to do something. Well, now he's going to do it even more so. Because you can't tell those guys not to do something. Everybody just wants to do what you tell them not to. You can't oh, do that. My kids do that. Right. Right. Sarah don't do that. Okay, me, I'm going to go do it right now. <laughs> Sarah said to me that she thinks the three of us should do that in karaoke. Oh, I can do that. But I can't do the rest of that. You don't want to hear me sing. I could rap some a little bit. On me. I need some practice. All right. Hey, let's, uh, why don't we hear from our friends at Johnstone Supply before we bring in the guest du jour? Yes. Oh, honor. All right. Here we go. Johnstone <laughs> Supply in Troy is ready to help you as the frigid winter sets in. It is cold and brisk out there today. Now it's more important than ever to make sure your furnace or boiler is ready to handle the extra workload on the way this winter. Plus, what happens if your unit breaks down? Make sure you tell your family, friends, and more. The place to call is Johnstone Supply in Troy, 518-272-5922. The crew at Johnstone Supply will give you the extra advice you need to get out of that dilemma and figure out the best solution for you. If you already know you must make a change this winter, Johnstone Supply in Troy is new, high-efficient Goodman Furnace and Naveen Boiler. So stop in at 6th Avenue to learn more. Call Johnstone Supply, 518-272-5922, and do us a favor. Hit two for the counter guys and tell Tom, Kevin, James, or Rob that you heard it here on Eminem and M across the board. Eric, Take we have a guest. Take there it away. Dan Rosanowski, the voice of the San Jose Sharks. Hello, sir. It's been a long time. How are you? It really has. I know you're going to try to make a... Baseball trade with me with Sean Hillegas, and the answer is no. Long time uh, I, ago. I thought that Joe Carter might be on your list. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, you want a lot for him. This is how old <laughs> we are. Uh, let me introduce to you Dan Rusinowski, a native of Milford, Connecticut, known for being the home of Dan, but also the home of Subway. Uh, before he arrived in the Bay Area, he was the original voice of the Sharks in the expansion season of 91-92. He provided the radio play-by-play -play call for the AHL's New Haven Nighthawks, where I had met him. And he was the voice of the St. Lawrence Saints hockey team. These two cover ECAC hockey. And uh, he received a bachelor's at St. Lawrence and earned his MBA at Clarkson. I've never Isn't heard that of illegal? it. Yeah, it's, I think it, it is. It's on the bounds of illegality. Out here yeah. in California, yeah, right. we have Cal versus Stanford. But there are a lot of marriages between the schools, believe it or not. <laughs> now, you Deanna, for you. He's also, like Sean, a published author with Triumph Books, the release of If These Walls Could Talk, San Jose Sharks, which he co-wrote with reporter Ross McKeon. He is a member of the Bay Area Radio Hall of Fame, talk about legends, and also has done Grand Prix soccer, baseball, radio programs. Now, before I drop the puck for Ashley and Sean to start the questions, Dan, we have to hear your immortal voice in a call. So I'm going to pick one of my favorites, the 2020 first round, Game seven in the West. Oh, what a game. 
home at the Shark Tank against Vegas. They're down 3 nothing midway through the third. They tie it. They lead then. They come back and tie it again. You head through with 47 seconds in regulation. You tie it again. And then the Sharks win in an OT. Give us that call. Oh, is he frozen? Am I supposed to do it? Yes, I, I, I want you to do it. You I, make that famous call in OT. I would I would have sent you the play-by-play tape of it. I thought you were going to play it. No. I, I want to hear you hard. say it live. Now, basically, Barkley Goodrow got the puck from Eric Carlson, a brilliant pass. He got underneath the defense. He deked on Marc-Andre Fleury, and he scored. That's basically <laughs> what happened. If I recall, it was Goodrow is the big man on campus. Unbelievable. That is correct. Barkley Goodrow is the big man on campus. That's That was my call. No question. I would have sent that to you. You could have played it for the show. Oh, oh we dropped good. the puck. I want to hear it live. Sean, you've got, uh, you won the face off with our first question. Uh, Dan, welcome to the show. I, I, I grew up in the Bay Area, uh, a little town called San Lorenzo, right near Hayward. And what is San Lorenzo, uh, the language in English? How do you translate that? I have no idea. St. Uh, Lawrence. Of oh, course. I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> that, Absolutely. That's what I would have guessed. Wow. Talk about Absolutely. putting the ball on the tee for you. Yeah. This, I got to um, throw that out there. Uh, you know, after all, I mean, I've got a long history with the ECAC, as Eric was talking about. So you guys cover it. And it's nice to know that we've got so many things in common. I've been out here 30 years, but uh, follow, the, follow the Saints very closely in the ECAC, reasonably closely when I can. But uh, but it's a lot of fun to uh, uh, to relive some of those old memories. Yeah, I'm in year 13 of covering D1 college hockey here, Union and RPI. So ECAC, I was actually at RPI hockey practice oh, about an hour ago. How hey, are they doing? Um, some good, some bad. Sounds like St. Lawrence's season too. Some yeah. good, some bad. If they could get that third goal each game, they'd be doing much better. But uh, they're playing hard. That's you sound like you're talking about the National Hockey League, actually. I mean, getting to the third <laughs> goal is absolutely We can critical. talk about National Hockey. Here, here's my question. Who, who's the best team you've seen this year? Uh, if you had to pick a cup favorite today, who would it be? It's a really tough question. I, I'd have to say that probably the best team that we've seen is Tampa Bay, uh, the defending cup champions. But I think that that recent road trip that we just took uh, just before the all-star break to those four teams, we started with Washington and then we moved on to Florida, which is a really improved club. They're a great team. I think they're really good. I don't think they're good enough to win. And when it comes to the playoffs, we'll see if they prove me wrong. Tampa is definitely good enough to to repeat what they do. And let's not forget about Rod Brindamore's Carolina Hurricanes. I yeah. think that's another team that, uh, in the Eastern Conference anyway, that, that are among the best. That was a pretty tough trip for the Sharks, but they picked up points, uh, four out of a possible eight. Now, in the Western Conference, the team I like is Colorado. Uh, they're a team that can do everything. Don't count out Calgary, coached by Daryl Sutter, however. Mm -hmm. They're a team that's kind of coming on strong. But I still think that the best team overall in the Western Conference is probably the Colorado Avalanche. And I haven't forgotten about Vegas. It's just that, that we in San Jose sort of have a, a blind spot there. <laughs> I was going to say for good reason. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and you know, and Jack Eichel's going to add a lot to their hockey yeah, club. Probably. He's going to start up. And it, isn't it great? Uh, the Sharks play the Vegas Golden Knights at home on Sunday just in time for Jack Eichel to get back into the lineup. It always seems to work that way. It's convenient how that works out sometimes. Yeah. Uh, um, Dan, we don't see a whole lot of Sharks hockey being on the West Coast or on the East Coast. I'm sorry. Uh, but in terms of the team as it's currently made up, and I know everyone 
everyone here would want to talk about Evander Kane uh, because he's the biggest name from that team. But what was that moment like having him back in the building? I was just reading stuff. I didn't see the highlights, but to have him back. And I heard like every time he touched the puck, people booed. What is it like to have a guy who's contributed so much come back when things are just kind of a little bit, you know, they're not as you would hope they would have ended. It's kind of funny because, you know, we, we get a lot of buildup for events like this whenever yeah. they occur. And and how many times have you guys seen it where you have the buildup and then you have the game and it's not quite exactly what they expected? I, I, I'd kind of characterize it that way. Mm -hmm. um, there certainly was, was a lot of uh, competition on the ice. And I think the real focus of that game was Connor McDavid, who's best player in the world right now. He was just all world in that contest. I think the Sharks got underneath Leon Dreisaitl's skin a little bit. But as far as Evander Kane goes, it was just good competitive of hockey there were a lot of people that were trying to make something of it before the game but but really it was it was more that than anything else and, and you're right uh, the fans definitely did boo him every time he touched the puck and I think that reminds me uh, back in the day when a couple of other guys left the organization when they first came back um, whether for whatever reason they, they left uh, you know they, they got that from the fans a little bit yeah. so so we're not surprised yeah now Dan the Coyotes situation is remarkable that's a kind way of putting it I guess we we talked about it back in August we touched on this about the Glendale Arena situation getting a boot now they're going to play at a college arena that seats like 5000 I mean is there any chance they could move them to a city like Quebec or you know even Toronto could have two I mean there are people that are on 5 million waiting lists to try to get a Leaf ticket so you could get 15,000 every night for a second team in Toronto. What are your thoughts about the, the situation in, in Arizona? Well, it's really unfortunate. And I have to say that uh, that it's an important market for the National Hockey League simply to fill in the television markets in the United States. It's a, it's a good-sized TV market. And there is support for hockey and for the Coyotes there. You mentioned the Maple Leafs. Don't forget that Austin Matthews is from the state of Arizona. Mm -hmm. And the, the sport's really growing quite a bit. Uh, we like to say that Austin Matthews was born in the Bay Area, which he was, but uh, but he he moved when he was less than a year old, as I as I understand it, to Arizona. So I guess that he's a full Arizonan. But um, I think it's unfortunate that they've had to go through all of the the machinations that they've had to go through. Um, if you look at what happened, basically what you have is a story of of uh, the building that they built really in the wrong place for the long term. Think about the Richfield Coliseum in Cleveland. And how that was supposed to be the place where the market was going to grow and the Cleveland market and the buying public was going to be there. And the Barons moved there. And then they ended up uh, getting an NHL team. And they were, had a WHA team for a while. And as it turned out, the best place to have the arena was in a downtown situation. So, uh, unfortunately, the, the Phoenix Suns control that in Phoenix. And so that building was not available. It's not really set up for hockey the way that it's been configured these days. And of course, the team doesn't control the revenue streams that they need to make it successful. So the thought was to have a new building. The building actually in Glendale is a nice building. It just happens to be in a, in a place that's wrong. And it's really strange to me because we get off the airport at Sky Harbor and we drive out to Glendale uh, where all the teams stay right near the arena, which is great. It's a nice little walk uh, to the rink and everything else. So from our perspective, it works great. And you get there and... It's an absolutely packed traffic. I mean, you, you, it's stop and go, can't move all the way to Glendale. And I'm looking out the window of the bus and I'm going, don't any of these people buy hockey tickets? But the answer is, because they're all going there, but the answer is, is that the, the hockey buying public so far, uh, so-called, is on the east side of the valley, not the west. The income levels are different. The, the uh, you know, the demographics are different that are, that are supporting the sport. And so... 
Um, I, you know, I have friends that, for instance, that that uh, that live in Chandler, Arizona, which is south of Phoenix. They work in high tech. Um, my wife works at Intel. They work at Intel in, in in Chandler, and they used to come to games when they when the Coyotes played at America West, maybe 15, 20 times a year. Uh, some of them had season tickets, but that extra 45 minutes to get out to Glendale, especially with the traffic issues during the week, make it uh, make it a little bit more challenging. So I think that the Coyotes are doing the right thing in trying to get a building built in Tempe, which is right in the heart of where they need to be. And it, it it's just been a long, laborious process. But you got to give Gary Bettman a lot of credit for um, showing the support uh, for that city. And he did the same thing in Buffalo and in Pittsburgh when they had uh, financial problems. And now look that those teams are, are doing much, much better. Nice. Sabres, of course, in the standings, not so much. But in terms of the support that they get from the fans and so forth, it, it's really great. So I think that there's still a future for, for hockey in Arizona, and there should be. But it's just a really long, laborious process. And I, I'd say they are basically back to square one when it comes to that with, you know, where we were in San Jose playing in San Francisco in the Cow Palace, an 11,000 <laughs> seat building for a couple of years, and then finally getting SAP Center built. And, you know, now it's just a, an icon of the city and, and of the Bay Area. And it's the largest city in the Bay Area, too, which I like to remind people. So um, I, I think that that's the process they're in. But, Eric, to your point about where the Coyotes might consider moving, I don't see Quebec and I don't see Toronto on those lists. Number one, the Maple Leafs are going to do absolutely everything they can to not allow yeah. that. They don't even want yeah. anybody to go to Hamilton. Yeah, so, wishful uh, thinking. I don't see that happening. Uh, the second, uh, the second one, Quebec City. I just don't see them necessarily on the on the top of the list right now because I think that the uh, if you're thinking about TV markets in the U.S., you want to gain one. Uh, you know, if it's possible, who knows? Maybe a city like Houston would work or Portland. Uh, Portland would 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 add to, uh, and I'm talking about Portland, Oregon, of course, um, would add to Seattle, San Jose, et cetera, that, that Pacific Division rivalry that we have set up right now. And Houston, of course, is the largest city in the country, if I'm not mistaken, that doesn't have a, a big-time team uh, in, in the NHL. So um, I, I think that th those are maybe a little bit more realistic, but I, that's not really on the plate for the league right now. I'd say that they're totally committed and the ownership in Arizona is totally committed to making it work. And I, I really believe they're going to. It's just going to take some time, and it's been painful. Dan, if you, I was talking to RPI uh, head coach Dave Smith a little while ago. What would have – I think the, the East is going to be tough. you got a division with, with Tampa and Florida and Toronto. What would a Stanley Cup mean to Toronto? I think all of Canada would like a cup. What would it mean to the city of Toronto? That's been a loyal fan base. What's been your experience there on road trips up, up north? I absolutely love going to all the Canadian cities and, and broadcasting hockey there. But um, the original six cities are even another level above that with all of the history. Um, certainly in Toronto, the focus is is on the pain. Think of the Chicago Cubs and all the years that they missed winning the World Series or, need I say to Eric, the Red Sox after all those years. But, yep. they, you know, when you finally get that, it's something that that's delightful for the community. And I think it would be that way in Toronto. Um, I always like to joke because one of my former broadcast partners, Pete Stemkowski, who played for the New York Rangers, is part of the Rangers uh, broadcast crew now. Uh, he was on that team that what that won in 1967, and they traded him the next year. So he calls it the the curse that he put on the team for for trading him. But uh, I have to tell you that it would mean the world to that city. It's bigger than life there, and it's it's a huge part of the culture there. 
I think that uh, what would be really unfortunate is if they were to win it under pandemic conditions where they couldn't celebrate in the building together. But fortunately, that seems to be lightening up a little bit and getting back closer to normal. So we're hopeful that uh, that if that does happen in Toronto, that the Maple Leafs fans would be able to celebrate that way and do it do it in a way that uh, that they deserve to because they've supported the team for so long through thick and thin. Uh, they love hockey. There's, you know, everybody, you know, one of the great things about when you go to Toronto is uh, that the Maple Leafs actually, you know, they they put together a certain number of tickets for, for visiting teams to purchase tickets. They're not for free, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, guys on the team can purchase them. Well, when you go to Ontario, don't forget how many guys that play in the NHL started out in Ontario. So they've got all their families there. They probably grew up Leaf fans. So it's it's almost a guaranteed sellout just just on that basis because they we, we every team always almost always goes over in terms of the allotment that they get per game, so uh, it, it's hockey crazy without question of a doubt and uh, it would be very interesting to see them win the Stanley Cup again. Yeah. Obviously, uh, you know I'm a little partisan as to which teams I'd rather see win the cup first, but uh, but still they they've been through a lot. Dan, you brought up the pandemic. Um, I was just wondering in terms of. All of your years of doing this, and you've been with the Sharks since the 91-92 season, how much did the pandemic affect your job? Like, were I assume you weren't traveling to every city, um, and were you calling games off of a monitor? How bizarre was that pandemic season for you? But also, maybe how much better does something like that make you at your job so that when you can finally go back and be in person, you think, well, this isn't so bad. <laughs> It certainly is a challenge. And, you know, I always say the difference between radio or audio, as we call it now here, and television is that uh, you're basically the producer of your own show on the radio. You have the entire canvas to to paint. Mm-hmm. But when you're doing a television broadcast, you're more at the mercy of the producer and the director of, of the show. So you're amplifying rather than painting. You're adding in uh, uh, features to the, the picture that's provided. And, uh, you know, you get a taste of, of what that's like, certainly. There were a couple of instances that, that, that were really strange. We did the whole season last year without traveling. And that was, a, that was really, really odd. Of course, the Sharks didn't make the playoffs. So mm-hmm. um, had they made the playoffs, I think we probably would have started traveling. But uh, we decided not to do that in the abbreviated season. And so um, I basically would come to SAP Center and call the game from the booth that I, that I call the home games in. And the fortunate thing is that the NHL did a great job in providing, um, uh, first of all, video effects that were reasonably close to uh, real time. And the second part of it was they provided effects from the building so you could get a feel in your headset about the game. Because mm-hmm. I would take my headset off during the during commercial break and it was dead silent. silent. I mean, nothing. And I'm thinking about trying to call a game that way. It would have been a lot harder. So fortunately, technology was able to, to solve mm-hmm. that. And it solved it a few times this season, too. Uh, but we, you know, we've been on the road all season with the team. And that's just such a, a, a privilege and an honor to be able to travel and represent your city and do all of that. Uh, to me, it's one of the great joys of the job that I have. So I'm glad it's back to normal. But to your point, it really made it challenging because uh, sometimes you didn't know if the puck was in the net, for instance. Right. You had to, you had to delay a second. Yeah. Or they would have sound effects that they would be putting in because there were no fans. So it was almost like they were putting video game sound effects in to create the picture and they would be like a second late with it. Yeah. And you know, that's the kind of thing that you had to deal with during the course of the year, but, but we all made it through and we really showed what we can do. And the fact that we have these technological advancements made it possible. I know back in the new Haven Nighthawks days, Eric, if any of this had happened, we wouldn't have been able to do the game at all. So it's, I mean, the only other way it could have happened would have been the old Ronald Reagan way. And it was kind of a, 
you know, a pan back to those times when Ronald, Ronald Reagan was using a ticker and they were using sound effects inside the radio studio. And I think he was in either Des Moines or somewhere in Iowa. And there was this one time where the ticker blew up and, they, and it stopped working. And so he just kept calling foul balls and, you know, manager coming out to talk to the pitcher and so <laughs> forth for about 20 minutes. And then after that, uh, they the ticker started working again. And when it started working, what happened over that 20 minutes was on the very next pitch, the batter grounded to second base. So he had all of that created out of nothing and had to do that for 20 minutes. Oh. Of course, back in those days, there was no tape of the game. So I don't think anybody has it. Well, Dan, we would have had to play bubble hockey. You could have called that too back then. Sure. That, but you have to do it in the French accent though, right? To, to touch in Toronto, when I was in the AHL uh, doing PR, Bruce Boudreau was our coach, who's now in Vancouver, did great with Washington. He always turns things around. We're going to see I him asked tomorrow. Him about a date. What's that? We're going to see him tomorrow. Great. Um, I asked him if he could get me a Maple Leaf ticket, just me, and he said he could not. And he played in Toronto. That's how <laughs> tough it was, but... Let's say stay up north in another glorious city up there, Sacre Bleu, Montreal Canadiens. When you think of icon sports teams in professional sports, they're right there. Cup finalists, yes, a surprise. We know about the very unfortunate situation with Price. They fired the coach. And what in the blank is going on in Montreal? And the media there must be absolutely on fire. Well, they're apoplectic, I'd say, uh, over, over the, the, the collapse of what happened from last season. There were some signs that that was going to happen. Don't forget Shea Weber also, career in jeopardy because of his injury and couldn't play this year. Uh, that's another one. He and Carey Price coming out of that lineup was basically everything for the Canadians. And don't forget also, Corey Perry went over to Tampa and signed with them. So there's another example. And also Matthew Dano went to the Los Angeles Kings, and he was a really valuable member of that team. So you think about taking out some of those core pieces and you realize that that, that Montreal needed help. And then, of course, the uh, the controversy surrounding their first-round draft pick over the course of the summer, too, was, was another thing that contributed to a lot of the angst in, in that province. But I have to tell you, um, that's among my top places to go. If I have a, a top four cities to wow. visit in the NHL for me, not in any order, it's Montreal, New York, Chicago, and Vancouver. Those are my four personal favorites. And that's the full picture. The biggest part in Montreal, of course, is just the, the hockey culture and the fact that when you broadcast the game, it's such a wonderful place to broadcast the game. You just feel uh, all the tradition. You, you look out directly from your, your view in the broadcast booth and you see 24 Stanley Cup banners. Those are the only banners they put up there. There's no conference championship, right. or none of that nonsense. Yeah. It's the Stanley Cup. That's it. And it's very impressive. And they, they do everything first class there. I think that what's happening now with Kent Hughes becoming the general manager and with Jeff Gorton becoming the operations you know, president of the, of the organization, that they're going to start to do things the right way and get things rebuilt. It's going to take time. But, uh, you know, it, it, I, I really do think they're going to do a better job of getting it together. And I, I, I see some I see some negative uh, shakes of the head there as to whether they do that, but it, it'll be organized at least. And the Canadians do have a good scouting staff, so they'll be able to uh, uh, to draft and develop. But it's going to take time. As as a as a Bruins fan, I would just like to see them keep doing what they're doing. Well, I, I get you. Don't I change it. I was going to say Sean doesn't not believe you, but he hopes it doesn't happen. Oh, I believe you 100. percent But I just <laughs> would rather them disregard your advice. Yeah. Well, if if they do, then you'll have a lot to cheer about in the next in the coming years. But part of the beauty of that Boston Montreal rivalry is the fact that both teams were so good for so long and so competitive. So, in a way, it's in your interest to see both teams remain very good. 
No. Dan, was was this a lifelong <laughs> was this a lifelong goal of yours career wise? Um, and could you have imagined? I'm infinitely interested just from a media perspective. Could you have imagined staying in San Jose as long as you did? Say when you got that job back in '91. Well, that was the hope. Obviously, I, I you know I moved to San Jose, moved three thousand miles across the country to become part of a community, mm-hmm. and uh, that's a big part of what a broadcaster does. When you're calling the play-by-play for a team, you're not only uh, you know telling people where the puck is and, and you know dealing with the art of doing that and the science of it, but you're also part of the community and you're representing your community. And so that was definitely the thought and the hope. You'd never know how it actually works out. But I've been very, very fortunate in that we have great fans and the great support here in San Jose and unbelievable ownership. So um, all of that's made it possible. And, uh, you know, we work very hard at what we do. I do, certainly. And it's yeah. it's it was definitely a, a long time dream to get to the NHL. I don't know that I would have written the script to come to San Jose, but I really believe this is the best place to live in the world. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm very fortunate. I met my wife out here. You know, my life totally changed. And uh, it's just a fantastic place to be and a great organization. Sean, I've got one more, if that's okay. Uh, yeah, no, go for it. You've seen some amazing players over the years, and I want to just have you touch on two currently. Crosby, hard to believe he's got his 500th career goal. I still think of him much younger. And then Ovi, Ovechkin, what a remarkable story, having a phenomenal season, fourth all-time in scoring and they're getting up there, but it doesn't seem the age is is really what you see on the ice now. So Ovi is a dozen behind Yager. Then you've got Gordy in the great one. Do you think that he can catch Wayne Gretzky? I believe he can. He takes such good care of himself. That's, that's the big thing. Uh, and that's why at age 36, he's continuing to do it. I, I really do think he's at the stage of his career where it's going to start to decline a little bit, probably just by nature. Um, you know, we've seen that happen. Usually around 37, 38 uh, for some of the great players, it starts to climb. You, you notice Gretzky retired when he was 40, and it was because he didn't feel that he could compete at the level that he wanted to anymore. Mm-hmm. And so he decided to stop playing, although he probably could have played a number of years beyond that. Yager is still playing at age 50, but he can't do it at the NHL level anymore. And I remember when he was uh, in his mid-40s playing in Calgary, trying to give it a go one more time, you could see that it was probably time. You know, in my experience, too, I've been very fortunate here in San Jose uh, to have two of the greatest players ever uh, to play on this team. And that would be Patrick Marlowe and Joe Thornton. Uh, Marlowe was the last guy to get to 500 goals before Crosby just did it. And uh, he played here 20 years, 20 seasons in a Sharks uniform. And uh, Joe Thornton, of course, after the big trade with Boston, uh, played 15 seasons with the Sharks. And he's uh, still going for Florida. I've got a funny feeling this might be it. Uh, Patrick Marlowe thought he might like to play one more year, but he didn't get a contract offer. So he's he hasn't officially retired, but he's in limbo. But these are some of the greatest players. And what they all have in common is their attention to detail, the fact that they're among the hardest workers on the ice every single day. And they set an amazing example for a young kid coming into the game. And I think that those are some of the things that Ovechkin does and Crosby certainly does. They overcome a lot. They play with injuries and, and when they can, or in Crosby's case, they recover from injuries. And in Marlowe's case, what's really amazing to me is that uh, he played 910 consecutive games up to the age of 41. And there's nobody on that consecutive games list. You know, Keith Yandel from the Boston area just uh, just broke the record all time for most consecutive games played. His uncle Mike, by the way, is one of our scouts, does a great job for the Sharks. But 
uh, uh, think about the fact that Patrick Marlowe did it at that stage of his career. Now, Keith Yandel's in his mid-30s, right? Patrick Marlowe is six years older, and he still uh, amazingly was able to stay in the lineup. So um, I, I really think that that's one of the big things. They're, they're freaks in nature. They have amazing natural talent, but they supplement that natural talent with hard work and being among the hardest workers on the ice, regardless of, of who's on the team. And the, the, they take good care of themselves. They're students of the game, and they're always trying to adapt to the changes that the game has. And they've they've done that brilliantly over the course of their career. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks well, we, so much for coming on with us. We yeah, appreciate Dan, thanks it. Thanks a bunch. Well, it's a, it's a real pleasure to uh, to just catch up uh, with Eric and meet both of you <laughs> and and to chat a little bit about the NHL. You know, we're, we're, we've got a really exciting season for the Sharks and. You know, coming up for this stretch drive right now, the Sharks are still in the conversation for the playoffs. Yeah, they've never missed the playoffs three years in a row. The mm -hmm. goal is to get there. It's going to be a, a big challenge, but I think that what uh, what we're looking at with the Sharks team right now is for the first time, and I'm going to say three years. Um, you've got a group of guys that really loves playing together. They got great leadership with Captain Logan Couture. They've got players like Eric Carlson, who's out again with an injury, unfortunately. Brent Burns. Um, Timo Meyer now becoming an outstanding player in the NHL. Uh, that that gives them a lot of positive feeling for the future, for this year, but for the years to come. And I think that if they don't make it this season, the one thing you could take out of it is that they've they've re, you know they've righted the ship and they've changed the direction of the team back where they need to be. And so it wouldn't be too long. But I still have a belief that they can qualify for the playoffs. And if they do, you never know. If you've got a chance to win, you got a chance. Well, Dan, back then, uh, I can say the predictions that we made, sometimes they come true. And there was no question that the NHL would be there for you. So congratulations again for a tremendous career that you've had that continues personally, how things have worked out for you out there. You're an icon in that area uh, and so happy for you from here. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us today, Dan. It's great to see you as well. And get back in those playoffs. I truly appreciate that. And if the Red Front in Troy on Division Street is still open, go have some pizza. Okay? Yes. That's, that's one of my that favorites. Is, that place is the best. Oh, yeah. Number one. No still question. Still around. It's still around. And Love Dan, it. is it easier to get tickets in San Jose than in a place like Montreal or Toronto? It is easier. Right. Uh, we've, you know, we, we've had people that uh, we've had a little bit of pandemic fear, I think, out in this area to a degree. We've had certainly more restrictions. But uh, but that's starting to, to loosen up. And of course, when the team isn't in the playoffs, that's the other thing. It's pretty competitive here. You've got right. the Golden State Warriors. You've got the NFL and you've got Major League Baseball, two teams. So as, as I see the Oakland A's outfit over there, which is good, <laughs> I, I happen to, to enjoy going up with my friends at the A's and, and enjoying it that uh, that the side of the bay in the summer. So hope they stay. I, I hope so, too. We all do. Yeah. Thank you, Dan. Thanks. Right, Dan. See you. Thanks. See you soon, Dan. OK. Go Sharks. <laughs> Go All Sharks. Right. I love it. I'm going to get out to San Jose and get to a Sharks game to meet Dan. That'll be my goal for like next year. Just, you, you, In sports, as I've said before to you two, and you both are part of this, you'd love to see good things happen to good people. Good people. And Always. somebody who had zero ego and didn't believe, you know, he knew he was good, but he had a dream. And damn it, he made it come true because he worked hard, just like the NHL players he described. That's what he is. And that's who he is. And he has a great voice. You betcha. I'm always jealous of people with great voices. Shouldn't be jealous. You're pretty good yourself. That's right. All right. Hey, 
Folks, it's a new year with new goals. Start your new year right behind the wheel of a new or pre-owned vehicle that fits your budget and your New Year's resolutions. Stop into Mohawk Honda and check out our broad selection of pre-owned inventory. We're here to find the right make, model, and price point to fit your budget. Our goal is to meet your goals. Let Luis the VIP man Morales, Jake Hot Sauce Doyle, Cars with Kearns Favota, or Mark from Clifton Park Ellis Jr. connect you up with the perfect deal. Right now is the perfect time to get top dollar for your trade-in with the Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. Same day check in your hand the day you trade in your vehicle. Just ask for Brian, buy with BMAC McKenna, Mike Benice, Nicole Ozer, or Cam, let's do a deal McKenna. Again, all of our sales and leasing consultants will make your New Year's automotive goals their top priority. Start the new year right with just the right deal at Mohawk Honda and Glenville, where they always go out of their way to please you. To please you. Absolutely. Olympic Games. you. Yeah. Bad, bad, bad day for U.S. and Canada men's hockey. I know, and we didn't even get to ask Dan about that. Yeah, they packed mean, up. That was a stinker. I mean, they had a great run, though. Uh, it's just, you know, this isn't a best of seven playoff. That's right. the problem. But I didn't think they I, – I watched them two of the games, and they just – for a team that was put together mm-hmm. like a, a salad, basically, tossed together because of the NHL situation – Great job by Dan Quinn and his staff. It's just a shame that there's not a best of three in that goodbye round. It's the way it goes. It's an unforgiving thing. Yeah, and, and I did think, too, did Canada lose? They, they lost. Down. I heard that. Yeah, they got yeah. this morning. So, I mean. And now it's time to go Sweden because yeah. my grandmother was born in Sweden. So, I year, go Sweden. But this makes sense, though, right, guys? We were talking about uh, this in the newsroom. Like, if you think about it, the U.S. and Canada basically didn't send pros, their NHL, at all. Sweden, Slovakia, Finland, teams like that all have pros from their own leagues who are playing on these Olympic teams. So I feel like uh, maybe the U.S. team was better than people thought because better than people were going to give it credit for with a bunch of college kids, 15 college kids, youngest team in the Olympics. Maybe they even overachieved. I think once they won three games, people were like, oh, maybe this team is good. But doesn't it make sense that you have teams that are in the semifinals who have their pros there? Yeah. Easy enough. <laughs> it does. Experience well, how about, right. How about the women too, Sean? Because they're playing Canada, and that is a huge rivalry. They've had awesome matchups when they play. Uh, tip the hat to Hillary Knight. There's only been four players in hockey history to, for the women to make uh, four Olympics. And remember that they had the Brianna Decker injury too to, in the first round. So – uh, here's hoping that happens. And one of the four was Julie Chu, mm. who locally is known as a former assistant yeah. coach here in college. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking the Olympics, you know, you're always going to get controversy. You're always going to get politics. I'm just curious what your thoughts are with the, with the women's figure skating. I think you have a problem when somebody's failed test recently when they say, well, she can compete, but if she wins a medal, there'll be no ceremony. My, my viewpoint is if if you're at that point, why is she even on the ice? Correct. Yeah, I I think that's the problem I have with it, too. And listen, there's something that smells a little fishy about a positive test in December coming to light on February 10th or whatever the date of that was. Well, why didn't we know about this? And if we didn't know about it or if we did know about it, why didn't everybody know about it? Why wasn't she either disqualified right from the jump and said, you can't come to the Olympics? Forget it. You tested positive for a banned substance. Or if you're going to play, it doesn't matter then it shouldn't matter for the whole thing. Forget it, she's here. But but get it all out there to begin with. Eric, we talked about this as in PR. Get ahead of the story 
let it come out and work itself out before you are in Beijing. And now you're, you've created a whole poop storm of things. No. And the, and the problem is, but you report to somebody and this yeah. could be a governmental situation. We know that it smells and we know, uh, you know, that some calls above it, but I like the reaction of Terry Gannon and Tara Lipinski and Johnny Weir. I thought they handled things very classy and they basically said, it's right. It's not right. Um, it, it really is a bad set uh, to have that young lady. Nothing against her. Obviously, mm -hmm. tremendous young talent. I believe she's only 15, mm -hmm. so she will be back. Um, you talked about the uh, skating too, Sean. Uh, Olympic sports in the winter are so different because we're used to pro sports, okay? You make a mistake in a ball game or a hockey game on a Tuesday, and you play the next day or three days later. Here you make a mistake and they got to show the reaction. I understand that. But then you've got four years of waiting. Okay. Yeah. And I, I don't think people here that watch pro sports and think about that, they need to think about the fact that the Olympics, they only have a couple times. They may have multiple events, multiple skating performances or bobsled, what have you. But uh, that is something that emotionally is very draining. And when everybody is looking at you, at that point, you're expected to be perfect, Sean. I, I think it's so different, don't you? I do. We talked last week about Michaela Schifrin and mm -hmm. she her two best events and she struggled with. And that's, yeah, you have world championships, you have tours, you have circuits that are going to go through Europe and whatnot. But the Olympics, yeah, it's, it's once every four years. A lot mm -hmm. goes into it. It's not like you, you go out in week 16 of an NFL game and have a bad day right. if you're a quarterback. This is yeah. it's all or nothing, which accentuates – it accentuates the pressure. It highlights the failure, but it also highlights the achievement because yeah. it's, it is all or nothing. And that's what makes it, that's what makes the Olympic games special. And that's what makes them hard. And I also think that's what is making the rest of the figure skating community, like ultra pissed off is because listen, if this person cheated, she is potentially taking a medal away from me. Yeah. And that's some BS. Like now, now we're talking about the four years that I put in being tainted or questioned or whatever. And I yeah. did it the right way. And now you're going to let this girl go out there and skate and you know, whatever happens, man, listen, she's going to win gold, whether or not it gets taken away. I have no idea, but yeah. she's clearly the most talented skater out there. She's going to win gold. So then once this all plays out, you're going to take it away from her, but you're right, Sean, you, if you're going to let her skate, Put her on top of the podium and give her the gold medal and then take it away from her when you decide. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't you can't undo it. Toothpaste mm -hmm. is out of the tube if she's right. already won. Yep. You know, you go back to uh, Shakari Richardson for the summer game. She she got caught smoking a joint after her mother died and got disqualified from the games. So, you know, the timing might be different. I'm not really sure what. You know, why the rulings were different. Let's put it mm -hmm. that way, where she was she couldn't go. Um but it just seems a little odd that um, that it's happening again. If if you're not going to give a medal ceremony, I, she shouldn't be on the ice. That's just that simple. And I agree with you, Eric. Good good for Johnny Weir and the other commentators who are just kind of backing off and saying, "Hey, she competed." Now let's look on the ice in a good way. The rink, because Nathan Chen, I'm no expert. Okay, I'm not Dick Button or Scott Hamilton or Johnny, but. I, the short program he did it was jaw-dropping. It was the most amazing performance I've ever seen. And I go back, actually, to Peggy Fleming days, okay? I just thought it was incredible. He nails a long program. He's a guy that bounced back from four years ago. They're not going to mm -hmm. talk about it anymore. So he turns the adversity all these years into accolades. He nailed it. He did it. 
maybe leaving his phone home uh, without the distraction help. But I, I honestly just watched that. And if I'm a judge, I can't give anything less than what they gave. The record performance on the points. Absolutely beautiful, gorgeous, fabulous showing. And this was a guy who was dubbed the next the next big thing. Like he was the next United States men's figure skater going into 2018 when he had a disastrous short program and came in fifth. And he he basically went through what Michaela Schifrin went through this this games, but that was before he had medals. I mean, Michaela Schifrin had three medals when she went through, you know, the, this kind of struggle where she DF or didn't finish or DQ'd through her first two races, and those were her best disciplines. Nathan Chen kind of did it the other way where he was dubbed the next big thing, hadn't won yet in the Olympic setting, and then went out there and crushed it. So good for him because now he not, he's not dubbed the next big thing. He is the big thing. <laughs> All right. We ready to move on to our greatest sports? Yeah, can I bracket? get one more? I think yeah, go one for more it. Shout out for listen, Sean White. We all saw it. He's great. What he did for snowboarding. Props to him. I wish he got a medal. Um, but Aaron Jackson, that story is so freaking good. Aaron Jackson was an inline skater. I think four years ago, or four or five years ago, she put on ice skates for the first time. Went out there and won an Olympic gold medal this week, and that was after. She slipped in qualifying, wasn't going to make the Olympic team. And her teammate said, hey, you're number one in the world for a reason. I'm going to give you my spot on the Olympic team for this event because Brittany Bowe, who gave her her spot, was more of a distance speed skater. She said, all right, you do the 500. I'll go for whatever else. Um, gives Aaron Jackson her spot. Aaron Jackson goes out there, wins the 500, and becomes the first black woman to medal in speed skating. Which is mind-blowing. That's incredible. But, but the story, everything to the story is so, so cool. So I just wanted to float that out there because it's one of those feel-good. That is what the Olympics is all about. Like sportsmanship, teammates, giving for other people, but then going out there and crushing it and getting your moment. So that was really cool. That's Sean, awesome. Glad you brought that in. Yeah, one more awesome. name real quick. Lindsay Jacob Ellis. It yes, seems like yesterday, 16 years ago, we remember that she oh. had it. She was only 20. And she did the cool thing and tumbled over and the tears flowed from all of us, but oh. she persevered. And now that she's not a little hotshot young kid, she's an adult, she gets her gold. So mm -hmm. hats off, Lindsay. Yeah, We're so her. happy for you. You're not a kid anymore. She got two yeah. golds, right? Yeah, two golds. Yeah, two, two golds. One yeah. team yeah. gold. Um, guys, really quick sidebar about that. So I have a friend um, whose name is Gabby. She's the sports director at NBC Connecticut. She's in Beijing covering the Olympics for... Connecticut, um, doing live hits, all this stuff. It's Lindsay Jacob. She's Lindsay Jacob Ellis's cousin. Oh, wow. she got to stand at the finish line and cheer her on. You know, you don't have family or friends there because they're not allowed, but because she was a media member, she got to stand there and cheer her on. And there is raw video of her just like crying and screaming and going crazy for her. It's the coolest thing. So it was really cool to see that interaction as well. But Lindsay got, had the chance to have a cousin standing at the finish line when she won her first gold medal, which was pretty cool. That's great. Yeah, it was awesome. Hey, we wanted to give everybody an update. Uh, we had a friend of the show, Joe Maniello, on a few weeks ago talking about uh, his upcoming Twitter brackets, greatest sports photo bracket. We're going to show you. It actually starts tonight. Um, so we are going to show you this. Here's the official bracket from Joe. Good color. I'm, I'll zoom in so you can see the pictures. But uh, 
Joe Maniello uh, on Twitter at Joe underscore Maniello M A N N I E L L O. And uh, right, what we <clears throat> scroll in so we can see these. The pictures are a little bit low. Yeah. But uh, Ali Liston is a number one seed up here. Uh, Lenny Dawson, I think that is smoking a cigarette. But uh, Ali against Roberto Clemente in round one. Okay. Uh, you, have, you have Joe Namath uh, before the Super Bowl. Mm. Uh, you got some great photos here. Buster Douglas knocking out Mike Tyson. Yep. Uh, Jack Nicholas, Masters 86, iconic. All the Tiger fist pump. The Tiger fist bump made the grid. Uh, this is the one I love, the Michael Phelps in the Olympics. Mm. Yes. Just edging out um, uh, his competitor. Another number one seed, Secretary in the Belmont. You got Babe Ruth against Lou Gehrig in the first round. Is that Kirk Gibson? Um, no, sorry, Eric. That's Bill Buckner. Mm. I tried to not say that. <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah, you walked it. Ozzie Smith with a great one on his uh, on his leap. You had the Cal Stanford. The band is on the field. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll go pick out a few here from the other side. Sorry yeah. for my choppiness. All good. Absolutely. I love this. Yeah, Brandy Chastain. Oh, Brandy. The top seed. That's a, it's got a soft spot in my heart. My Chastain against Bjorn Borg in the first round. Pele. Um, I'll give you my final four and champ. Uh, I was going to ask if Kerry Strug made the cut. Kerry Strug made the cut on a play-in. Kerry Strug beat Woo! Kerry Strug on a play-in. Uh, <laughs> it was Kerry Strug in this picture, or Kerry Strug being carried by Bella Caroli. Okay. Uh, Simone, I like the, Kerry, yeah, I like the one with the one leg up. It's Kerry Strug against Simone Biles in the first round. Hank Aaron. Uh, I'm going Strug. Hank strong. Aaron. Uh, you have a, let's see, Hank Aaron. Oh, oh, we have the helmet catch, Eric. I don't think Joe's a Pats fan, but keep moving, awesome. keep moving. Kyrie. <laughs> Odell Beckham's in here. Uh, D Dwight Clark with the catch. Lynn Swan. Mm -hmm. Bobby Orr's atop. Bobby Orr against Pete Rose mm -hmm. in round one. Uh, Michael Jordan is in here. Uh, let's see. Michael Jordan's in here a couple times. Carlton sure. Fourth. There's one for Eric and Kirk Gibson. Messier. And Mir Miracle on Ice. So I'm going to give you my final four real quick. Okay. In, in the Neil Leifer region, I'm going to go Ali List, and that to me is the chalk. Um, down here in the AP Getty region, I'm going to go with number five, the Willie Mays World Series catch in 54 to knock Ooh. off Secretariat. Number five. We'll rename Willie Mays uh, uh, upset after this one. Okay. Uh, in uh, in the Walter, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, Ayus Jr. region, the catch Dwight Clark to upset or to knock off Vince Lombardi, Jerry Kramer following Super Bowl II. That's a great photo from my uh, childhood. And then the greatest regional final in the history of brackets. I don't care what Miracle on Ice takes down Bobby Orr. Okay. That's uh, going to be a fantastic one in my final. Ollie over the Miracle on Ice uh, for the championship. Okay. Well, I had one of the quirky ones I liked there was the Forbes Field photo in the 60 mm -hmm. World Series yep. with the students from the top of a building at the University yeah. of Pittsburgh uh, looking down. But I had Ali, I had Ruth at Yankee Stadium for the last time. I mean, an icon in the sport saying goodbye at the stadium he built. Brandy Chastain, the women's soccer photo, in so many ways. Yeah. In so many ways what that represents, okay? And the miracle on ice. And I think yep. the final, I had uh, Ali and Brandy in the final, and both of them are winners in my book. I'm going to have to go back and vote on his actual <laughs> thing so I can see all of it. It's, it's going to take a little while. He said he's yeah. going to do like four a night and he, he wants oh. to extend this over a couple of weeks. I can't yeah. wait to, can't wait to vote each night. Yeah. I love it. And be part of it. So it's awesome. 
All right. Who wants to lead off the whiteboards? All right. Ashley's got it this week. All right. Sounds good. Um, I know we already talked Super Bowl, but this is my Super Bowl slash NFL is king, which we, we talk about all the time. But the ratings were out fairly recently. Um, I thought last year the ratings would be better because it was Brady and it was pandemic and it was people needed football. Let me tell you something. The ratings were a lot better this year than they were last year. 101.1 million TV viewers, up 6% from last year. And then this is where technology comes into play. You get another 11.2 million streamed the game for a total of 112.3 million. Listen, those numbers are eye-popping, but I'm impressed that based – I know it's L.A., and L.A. is a big market – but it's the Rams, and we've talked about the Rams and the support that it has or doesn't have from fans, and it's Cincinnati. Um, so I wasn't convinced that the numbers were going to be really good. The halftime show could have had something to do with it. That sounds crazy, but it could have because you're getting a different viewership of people maybe who don't aren't going to watch the game otherwise. And we understand there are people out there who watch this game for the commercials. But the fact that the numbers were so much better this year than they were last year surprised me a little bit. But it just shows we love football. We can't get enough. Yep. Eric, why don't you go ahead? NBC. And NBC is very happy we love football. Yeah, and I hope to get a free hat. Well, I have a hat from them. I'll wear next week. (laughs) Truly a remarkable few weeks for NBC Sports. The production, Beijing to Stanford and Connecticut to L.A., just outstanding. Okay, Olympic-wise, we'll touch on that. Many of the talent were in Connecticut. But it takes, as Ashley knows, it takes years of taped features and stories to prepare mm-hmm. for the show. Okay, it's it is a primetime show. The tremendous camera work I thought was outstanding. The replays on site give some hats off to the super production staff in minus twenty wind chill out there doing that. Yeah. Uh, I love the live cuts to the home homes and the restaurants to see the family's reaction. Absolutely so. awesome because they couldn't be there. Just the tears of a live shot back home in Minnesota. 30 cameras on the luge, okay? That's pretty cool. Yeah. Cut, cut, cut. cut. That is awesome. Uh, hats off to the local affiliates like our own Ashley and WNYT in Albany for their great Olympic Zone shows that features national uh, show content, but also local highlights and interviews as well. And then lastly, for the Super Bowl, just first class, uh, Michelle Tafoya, great luck to her and her future. Her. She always had the quick injury update and status. Uh, and like I said with Aaron Donald, we hope we haven't seen the last of Al Michaels. I assume Amazon will step it up. Tied for 11 Super Bowls with Pat Summerall. From the graphics, the new look scorebook, uh, scorebook piece on the screen, the truck to the sideline in the booth. Everybody brought all their A game. Congratulations and thank you. And That was a good one. <clears throat> All right, I'm giving a shout-out this week, and unfortunately it took one of our most loyal viewers to not feel so well this week and, and get ill, but he's getting better, um, <clears throat> to bring up NASCAR. So, Jim, Ooh, this one's right. for you, buddy. <clears throat> Start your engines. Daytona 500 uh, this week. I, I didn't even realize that NASCAR had gone to, uh, by the way, happy uh, 78th birthday in heaven to my dad today. Um, hadn't... Didn't realize NASCAR was in the L.A. Coliseum uh, a couple weeks ago. Took a look at that on, on YouTube. Thought that was pretty cool. But it is Daytona, a 500 week. It's a, the great American race. I uh, wanted to give a shout out again. Uh, one of our most loyal 
uh, listeners been asking me about NASCAR. So here you go. It's Daytona 500. The official pick is Ryan Blaney. So let's let's see what happens. But uh, you know what is that season? And then for the NASCAR fans, it's a, it's a loyal group. It's like you know NHL. It's a niche sport, I think, but uh, it's a definitely a loyal group. And their season runs February to like November. So uh, yeah, time to get it started and trade to paint, as they say on the All right. I love it. LA I Coliseum. NASCAR. I don't know enough about it, but I can get into a NASCAR race. Yeah. I think I would like to go see it live, though. Sounds I've weird. heard live is very you can you can yeah, buy a receiver. I, you, you get the feel yeah. that the atmosphere would be cool. Yeah, I have friends that go and you can listen to the to the crews talking to the drivers, right. depending what channel you tune in. That that which is a remarkable uh, invention awesome. to do to let your fans do that it makes them feel part of the race. So it's really great cool. marketing. My father was a mechanic, and he had go- he was just absolutely in awe listening to the mm. pit crews. Yeah. But how about the L.A. Coliseum? What that thing has hosted over the years? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> now they're going to ask our race on the resume. That's if awesome. it could talk. If it could talk. All right. You've been watching Eminem across the board. We are on Apple, YouTube, Spotify, Twitter. We will tweet out our show uh, in just a little bit at MMMATB1. We hope you join us next week. I will hopefully be back home working a night shift, not for this morning stuff. Um, but yeah. Oh, Ashley, coffee with Ashley and Chris in the mornings. I'm loving it. I don't drink coffee, so I'm not loving it as much. Oh, but you're um, seeing your hubby. Yeah, no, it is nice seeing my husband for once. So I haven't minded it, but I will hopefully be in uh, back home. All right. See you next week, guys. All righty.